Hallelujah. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 19 this morning. And uh, this week of just uh, meditating and asking the Lord uh, in preparation for this Sunday. I'm excited about next week and our Easter program, The Last Words of Christ. I would encourage you, invite somebody. How many can look around and say we have room for a couple people to join us next week? Amen? And so both services, so we're believing really for a crowd uh, for next week just to reach out to people, not just to have a crowd. We've never been a church that does giant Easter egg hunts. One, if you hide them out in the parking lot, they find them like that. You know, it's like, you know, unless we just had black eggs or something like that. So kind of hard to do. So <laughs> we uh, anyway, we just work with what we got. Amen. And uh, so doing that. But so we do different things. But we just believe that the purpose of Easter isn't eggs. It's Jesus. Amen. And so we want to invite people to come experience Christ on Easter, not a bunny with caramel in his eggs. Amen. That bunny needs prayer anyway, man. If the best you can do is like caramel filled eggs. Anyway, moving right along. But all that's good. I love all that. I'm not against any of that. I'm just saying. So, uh, but I know that the main reason that we celebrate Easter, it's not Easter, it's Resurrection Sunday. And uh, we want people to experience that resurrection life. So we encourage you, invite somebody and believe God for them to come and to experience the grace of God in their lives. Amen? Hallelujah. Luke chapter 19, this morning I'm going to just minister to you a little bit about the entrance of the king. Palm Sunday is just that. It's a celebration of Christ entering Jerusalem, and it's called his triumphant entry. And let me just share a thought with you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, thoughts for good and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. I like what one translation says. It says, to bring you to an expected end. And in that area, that means that God has an expected end that He wants to bring us to. God has designed an expected end for our lives that He wants to bring us to. And I've always found out in serving Him that His end is better than anything I expected. <laughs> Amen? His expected end is mine. Many times what we, though, is that we would like God to bring us to our expected end. What we think our life would make our life better, everything about our life. So we have our expectations, and we want him to make an entrance into our life in such a way that it would fulfill our expectations. That make sense? But what the Lord does, he has an expectation for you. He wants to see you with him in eternity for all of eternity. His expectation is you with him for all of eternity. Amen? And so he works in our lives to that end and for that purpose. And uh, so it, it's so uh, j just a little bit of a shift sometimes to trust because sometimes to let go. Because we think so many times, man, if God would just fix these things in my life, my life would be so much better. But how many know that, that if we just trust him, as, many, as the words this morning said, we go through trials, we go through things. That, wasn't that a good word from the Lord this morning? Let me just pause and interject this. Maybe you've gone to church, you've never heard prophetic words like that. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives us utterance. And those words bring edification. Is anybody edified? exhortation and comfort to it. And so God speaks and he brings a confirming word. I'm glad he's a living God, not a dead God. Amen. I'm glad he's alive today. And uh, so if you ever have questions, we're always willing to ask and answer any of those for you. But I love it when the word of the Lord comes forth and they tie together. And it also ties into the word that God gives us to minister. We didn't call anybody and say, hey, could you like give these words today? So uh, there's no setup here. Amen. 
And so in all that area. So God is so good, ties in, the words come, they tie in with the worship, they tie in with everything. When you allow the Holy Spirit to move, it's amazing how he orchestrates things. Amen? So we love that. But the Lord is doing that same thing in our life. He's orchestrating, putting things together. And just think about that, just like a service like this where God puts his hands on, if you let him do it, you have a great outcome and a great experience. But if we want to organize and chart it, and God says, hey, if you want to do it that way, fine. I just won't, I don't don't have any part in it. There's no place for me in that. Are you doing all right? And so God likes it when we allow him to have a place and we choose to flow and agree with him. Amen? Hallelujah. Luke chapter 19. So we're talking about the entrance of the Lord. I'm going to shift a little bit from first service just for a a little continuity in that instead of reading everything at the beginning. But it says... uh, in verse, Luke chapter 19 and verse 36. And as he went, they spread their clothes on the ground. Then as <coughs> he was now drawing near the descent of Mount Olive, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Somebody say, blessed is the king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd saying, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones will immediately cry out. How many refuse to let a stone sing your praise? Amen. Amen. Verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Such an interest. You know, the Bible actually says there's two times that Jesus wept in those years. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Now watch the contrast here. They're rejoicing and he is weeping. They're rejoicing and he is weeping. Wow. Verse 42. Saying, if you had known, even you especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. What an amazing statement. If you had known in this your day the things that make for your peace. So what he's saying is that the things you think will give you peace are not what make for your peace. Your expectation of what will bring peace is not what brings peace. He said if you had known even especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Man, what a party spoiler. They're rejoicing, and he says, hey, you don't understand what's going on. And in that area, we'll go back and read just a little bit. I said, man, that sounds like kind of a critical statement. But all the way leading up to this moment, to this time, Jesus has been trying to tell them what was coming and what was going to happen. And they just couldn't hear it and couldn't hear it and couldn't hear it. And he's continually trying to get them to hear. Amen? Amen. 
Verse 45, then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it and saying to them, it is written, my house is called, is to be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And when he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to him. Father, I thank you in these next few moments. You will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I didn't do our confession, but I apologize for that. But I just want to dive into this this morning. Look at your cover of your outline. Palm Sunday, that's where we are. This is the day we remember and celebrate the entrance of Christ into Jerusalem. It is called his triumphant entry. It's called his triumphant entry. But it is actually ours. It wasn't for his triumph. He came to triumph for us. For his entrance was not to take the throne, but to ultimately take our sins to Calvary. So he could triumph over death, hell, and the grave so that we could be free. He had not come to defeat the Romans, but rather to conquer hell and to defeat and dethrone the God of this world, Satan, the devil, and his legions. His purpose for entering was to destroy not a natural kingdom, but turn to put the spiritual kingdom back in order. Could you say amen? Think about his arrival to the people. They thought it meant their king had arrived. Messiah had come. The throne of David would finally be reestablished. Roman rule and oppression would be broken off their life. And all that had been lost would be restored under the rule of their king, the son of David. But it was not to be so. Because he had not come for an earthly kingdom. He had come to establish his eternal kingdom. Amen? Think about it. When he came, though, in order to understand why he came, we have to walk backwards this morning a little bit through the scriptures, discover the reason. So if you turn with me back to chapter 18 in your Bibles, Luke chapter 18, then we'll look back and see, because he keeps declaring what it is that's about to happen. But it's amazing how every time he declares it, it says they did not understand it. So look with me at Luke chapter 18 and in... Uh, Verse 31. So here he is. He's on his way. They're heading towards Jerusalem. They're traveling through the country and they're going to head up. And it's amazing if you've ever been to Israel. I was blessed to be able to go once uh, back in 2014. And in that time, uh, we actually went and the Jericho is on the road below Jerusalem. And, and that's why it says going up to Jerusalem. So you come up from the Dead Sea, that region down there. And then you head up the hill and, and partway up the hill, you come to Jericho. And then you head up over the hill and drop down into Jerusalem and so it says they're on their way up to Jerusalem it's because they're going up and on the way up they go through Jericho and so here he is they're on the way they're heading in that direction but he stops at this moment and he begins speaking to his disciples in chapter 18 verse 31 then he took the 12 aside and said behold we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. So he's trying to get their attention. Everything that's been declared about the Son of Man, about the Christ, about the Messiah, is about to be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentile, will be mocked and insulted and spit upon, and they will scourge him and put him to death, and the third day... He will rise again. So think about that. Jesus is declaring, this is what is going to happen to me, and I'm going anyway. Wow. 
This is what we're going to. They can't hear it. They don't want to hear it. Why? goes back to what I said. Our expectations over His purpose and expectations. Jesus came for God's purpose. Amen? We want God to show up for our expectations. And so, if we don't hear it, so if we're holding to our expectations, we can't hear the message of His purpose. And so he's saying he, he's driven with purpose. He, he says, I have to go. I have long, look what he told his disciples, I have longed to eat this Passover with you with great passion. I have passion to eat this Passover. This is because I know after this, that, that, all of that just amazes me that the Lord is saying that, knowing exactly. Even knowing he's about to be betrayed, he's going to be in the garden, he's going to petition the Father for another way to do it. But he's completely surrendered to see this through. Amen? So he's committed to this. So think about that. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Verse 35. And then it happened as he, as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sitting by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So he told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David. Somebody say, son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me is a covenant term. If you understand the, the, the Bible and anything about covenant, to say that, uh, loving kindness, tender mercy, all these things are covenant declarations in that. But to say, Jesus, have mercy upon me, it says, if you are the son of David then show me that the covenant is restored and fulfilled. Because under the covenant, I don't have to stay blind anymore. Under the covenant, I don't have to be sick anymore. Under the terms of the covenant, I have a right to be healed, to be restored, to be made whole right now. And if you are the covenant redeemer, you have a responsibility to keep the terms of the covenant. As Sean said, to show yourself faithful to your word in my life. Are you with me? What would happen if we took God that serious? What would happen if we stood on the word with that kind of faith and conviction and called upon his name? Amen. As the word of the Lord said this morning, whoever trusts in him and calls upon him, if we call, he will answer. Amen. And so here he is all around him. We know the story. Bartimaeus is crying out. The blind man's crying out. The crowd is trying to shut him up. And he refuses to be silent. So what's he do? He cries all the louder. So Jesus stood still, verse 40, and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Somebody say, Your faith has saved you. So think about what he said. That's what I said. He said, if you are the covenant redeemer, if you are the son of David, then I'm asking to be healed right now. Jesus said, what do you want me to do? Well, I don't know if you will, if you can, maybe. I'm not sure. He just said, I want to see. If you are the son of David. Now, Jesus, what does he have to do? Is he the son of David? Is he the covenant redeemer? So he is obligated to do and to be who he is. Can I just declare it to you today? If we understand the entrance that he has made, if we ever allow him to make his rightful entrance into our life, he will be who he is declared to be in our lives. It will transform and change our faith and our confidence in God. 
And so it says, and immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So here we find Jesus. He's going through Jericho. He's heading up to Jerusalem on the way. But he's in the process of bringing healing and restoration to those around him. And then his arrival in Jericho in Luke chapter 9, we find out the real purpose for everything Jesus did in the life of Zacchaeus. Then Jesus entered and passed through. Now get this, this is he's walking up, if you would, this is maybe the same day or the day before and passing through. It's not that many miles and that far to get there, so there's no time of day whenever this is, but it's within a short time of his entrance. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector and he was rich and he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when he saw Jesus, when he, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. I love it. In a moment, we're going to read where Jesus said, hey, go borrow that donkey. He's saying, Zacchaeus, I need to use your house. Jesus has no problem asking for your involvement. Amen. For your participation. Verse 6. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, in fact, that's very interesting. So watch, Jesus is making an entrance into Zacchaeus' life. He's about to make an entrance into Jerusalem, but here he's making an entrance into Zacchaeus' life. He made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He has gone to be a guest with the man who is a sinner. We have to be careful we don't get too religious and resent where Jesus is hanging out. Amen? So watch verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 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 I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come. Say that with me. Today salvation has come. Not tomorrow, but today. It's come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, here it is. Here is the whole nutshell. Here is the whole purpose for his entrance. This is why everything is happening. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen? Now look at verse 11. Something amazing happened. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom would appear immediately. Isn't it amazing how much discussion there is over when Jesus is going to return? Over kingdom theology and viewpoints and, and all those opinions about that. It was so in that day. People always wanted to know. They wanted their kingdom. Why? Because their expectation was to have their kingdom back. They, they, their expectation was completely earthly, natural. That if God would just fix everything in the natural around them, their lives would be so much better. How many know our problems don't always need a natural fix? Sometimes it has to do with the inside and with the spiritual thing. And that's an, an area that is so important. See, our problems are not always related to just the external issues of our lives. More often, the external issues have, are the evidence of internal conflict. Amen. Jesus always directed his attention to our heart and, inner, and the inner condition of man. The Pharisees always wanted us to wash the cups and wash our hands. Jesus said, you need to cleanse your heart. 
Amen? So it's the cleansing of the heart that God is after. So think about that. Think about it today. We just think, oh man, and I said it in first service, wouldn't it be wonderful if we just had all conservative leadership in our government? Wouldn't that just be amazing? Life would be so much better. No, it wouldn't. Because man still has a fallen heart. So, but, but what happens many times, we just think if God would just fix all these external, we have all these expectations what God would do and would fix our life. But the way you change and, and the way change comes is by fixing one heart at a time. God being able to have an entrance into one life at a time. So here he is, he enters in, but then now he's pausing. What's amazing is that, that he explains this parable and trying to clarify their understanding of the kingdom. He's on his way to enter into Jerusalem. He knows they're going to receive him as a king. They're acknowledging him as a king. They're getting ready to shout praise him. The king has come. And look at what he said. He says, because they thought the kingdom would appear immediately. Therefore, he says, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered them Ten minas and said to them, Do business until I come. Now, I don't know when my Bible is written, but the margin of my Bible said that was $64,000, the equivalent of $64,000. But a, a mina, or a mina, 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 whatever you want to do, mini, 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 whatever it was, a mina is one and a quarter pounds. It's one and a quarter pound. You read it in the original King James, it'll said that he delivered to them the, a, a pound. And that, but he gave them each 10 pounds, which be 12 in, 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 in regular pounds, be 12 and a half pounds in that area. So he gives that to them. And if you take a pound, a pound is 16 ounces in our measurement. And so this would be uh, uh, four other ounces, so it would be 20 ounces. So it would be like getting 200 ounces of gold. Okay, at thirteen hundred and something odd dollars a pound. Uh, uh, okay, okay, so, yeah. He gave them a lot of change. Yeah. <laughs> I bet every time I do that, I, get, I, I, I miss a step somewhere along the line. Amen. But anyway, if you calculate that out, it, it, it's it's a lot of money. It's it's a, how much? A quarter of a million dollar. Yeah. So everybody gets a quarter million dollars. How many would like Jesus to give you a quarter million dollars to do business with? How many would use it for his glory and not your desires? Yeah, there's the test. All right. Amen. So good. So look what he does. He delivers it to them. So watch what he did. He delivers it to them and said, do business until I come. But his citizens, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. So it was that he returned, having received the kingdom. Then he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had, somebody say gained. That every man had gained by trading. Then he came first, saying, Master, then, then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you are faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five. And likewise to him, you also have 
you also be over five cities. And another came saying, Master, here is your meaning, which I have kept away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you do not deposit. You reap what you do not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collected what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why did you not put my money in the bank at my coming, that I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those, those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But he said to him, but they said to him, Master, he has ten. For I say to you that everyone who who has will be given from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. What an encouraging word. That Jesus would bring. But listen, he's trying to... Now, now watch. I'm going... I'm, I'm reading all of this because when Jesus entered Jerusalem, they're rejoicing and he is weeping. Are you with me? They're rejoicing, but he is weeping. And I think sometimes today, many times we're rejoicing, but Jesus is weeping because we haven't completely understood what he's tried to reveal of why he came. And we haven't given him completely the entrance that he desires in our life. I don't know about you. I don't want the Lord weeping when I'm rejoicing. Amen? I, I, I want to, to be in agreement with him over those areas of my life. Think about this. And so here he is. He begins to explain this. And I don't have time to go back through all that. So I just put this little breakdown of what he taught them. He just basically declared to them, the kingdom is not coming now. Do business with what I have entrusted to you till I come. When I come, I will settle accounts. There will be those who do not wish me to rule over their life. How many know we see that today? We don't want Jesus. We don't want the Bible. We don't want any authority of God. We don't want any reign of this kingdom affecting our life. He says, you will be rewarded or judged for your faithfulness and stewardship when I come. And basically, he said, I'm coming and I'm expecting increase. So God entrusts his, his, his resources to us, and he's expecting kingdom increase out of our lives. And then he says, those who rejected my rule will be slain. What that means to us, don't worry about the unruliness of the world. We don't have to get caught up in that. He said, there will be a day when I come back, we'll settle accounts on every level, and all of that will be dealt with. He says, you and I are just supposed to be concerned about doing kingdom business and bringing increase to the kingdom. Could you shout amen? So watch what next happened. Before his entrance, he does this next thing. So if you continue on, he, he, he ends up, we end down at verse 28. And when he, had, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So we're on this journey to entering in. And it came to pass when he came near Bethphage, Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you, where you enter. <clears throat> As you enter, you will find a colt tied on which... Tied on which no one has ever set, loose him and bring him here. If anyone asks you, why are you loosing him? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of him. Wouldn't that be cool if the Lord just said, hey, go get in that car and bring it over here. I need that. And if anybody says, I don't know about you, I don't have guts enough to try that myself. To say the Lord has need of it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So verse 32, so... 
So those who were sent departed and found it just as he said. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And they released it and they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own garments on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as we read, they began, he begins his entrance into Jerusalem. So think about that. I'm always amazed out of how the Lord asks us to partner with him and invites us to be a part of what he's doing in the earth. Jesus could have, uh, could have procured a donkey for himself. He could have got that. He could have brought his own. But he asked somebody else to be a partner in what he was doing. That's what I love about the Lord. He's not doing anything apart from us. He's doing everything through our partnership with him. Could you say amen? I love that. So how does the crowd respond? Think about it. We all respond differently. See, they had expected a king, but he came as a savior. They were expecting the entrance of a king. Jesus says, I'm coming as a savior into your life. You see, praise and celebration was their response. And that's the same with us. When we first encounter the entrance of Jesus into our lives, it's only natural to respond with praise and celebration, for he comes as our liberating king, Lord, and Savior. I'm so thankful for Christ's interest into my life over 40 years ago. I'm thankful that when I knelt down, I said, Lord, I give you my life, and I open my heart. Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, and I open the door of entrance. I'm thankful that when he came in, that he forgave me, he cleansed me, and he removed me from the guilt, the shame, and the judgment, and the failure of my past. Do I have any friends in the house this morning? I'm thankful that that's why he came for that entrance into my life. And I know many of us have experienced that exact same thing. But think about it. We praise God, and, and I've never felt. So, so liberated, I just prayed, thank you, Lord. But he came, not just, and, and it started not outwardly. And, and walking all these years, God has changed the externals of my life. Everything external about my life has changed because I allowed an internal entrance of a king into my life. And everything that he had expected for my life, I'm living out. His expectation. The Lord gives you this invitation. If you will allow me entrance into your life. Not just into your externals. If you will give me entrance into your life. Then my entrance into your life will change everything about your life. Because I already have an expectation for your life. Amen. Keep your finger right there and turn to Ephesians 2.10. I'll prove it to you. Are you doing okay? You all know it, but I'm going to read it to you. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're the workmanship of God. When you allow Christ into your life, He rearranges you. You're made anew. If any man be in Christ, He's a new creator. God gives you a new genesis, a regeneration, a reforming, a rebirthing. It's called a new birth and a new life. And that new life is connected to His pre-planned purpose for your life. And when you allow the King, He says, I already have this expected end. I've already, it's kind of like this. This is what the Lord says. This is a plan right here. This is the plan for our building. Okay? And the Lord says, I have a plan drawn for your life. I, I, I have plans all drawn for your life. 
And it's greater than anything you probably would ever be able to build for yourself. So here's my offer. Can I build this through your life? Well, no, Lord, I think I'd see, like to see what I could draw up. I have some pretty good ideas. I have pencil, paper, and a ruler. I could draw. And the Lord says, yeah, but my plan is already paid for. There's already full provision for my plan. And you can build your own plan, but, but I'm not paying for your plan. Paying for mine. I made provision for mine. I don't have provision for yours. I have provision for mine. And many times we wonder why provision doesn't flow through our life. Because we're asking God to finance our plan. And he says, this is my plan for your life. Does that make sense? And so the, the Lord says, when we give him that entrance into our life, it begins to change all the externals. Because God knows how to rearrange everything in our life externally to bring about the plan that he's already designed for our life. Are you doing okay? So interest is so important. Think about that. So what, what they expected, what they got, and what we expect. What happens after his entrance into our life will always be determined by our preconceived ideas of why he has come into our lives. And I, I don't know what's in your heart. Well, people say, I need to get saved because I need Jesus to fix my life. No, you don't need him to fix your life. You need him to fix your heart. He's not, Jesus is not concerned about the externals. Are you listening to me? They missed God. They missed God because he did not come to change or to meet their external expectations. And in one week, they went from Hosanna to crucify him. In one week. From celebration, promotion, to demotion. Are you listening to me? And so many times that happens to us. Jesus, we get saved, and we're expecting the Lord to have this great entrance and to change all the externals of our life, and it doesn't change in a week. So now we have an attitude. Hey, Ben, don't shout me down when I'm preaching. I know it's supposed to be Easter. It's supposed to be real happy. I'm trying to get you happy. Hey, Ben. <laughs> By not having false hope and expectation, but having your life changed. I'm telling you everything about my this year. What an amazing year this year. I'm thinking for, for, for uh, our life, I'm just reflecting on this. And I'll probably get in trouble for telling my wife's age, but I'm excited about this. This is a 30, 40, 60 year for us. She's 30 years of planning this church, 40 years of being married, and my wife's turning 60. Amen. She's going to celebrate two of them, and I'm going to celebrate one of them for her. Amen. <laughs> but I think about that. But, but I came out of brokenness. I came to Christ out of brokenness, out of a failed marriage. And out of a failed marriage that lasted a year and a half, God brought restoration and gave me a marriage that's lasted 40 years. Do you understand what I'm saying? And out of that brokenness, God restored my son, who's now been here, as he was saying uh, this morning, he'd now been here when he walked through this door. He said he had nothing. That was 22 years ago this year. Amen. That was 1997 that he walked through the doors of this church, and God restored him. And then God had already prepared his wife in this house. <laughs> God is so good. 
Now, wait a minute. So how do you arrange all that? Listen, you're trying to arrange all of that and working through. I'm, I'm going to say something right there. Maybe we'll help some people. Because in this area, I've had people come who've been through divorce and been through broken relationships. Uh, and they're so caught up fighting, fighting with their ex. They're so caught up battling. And they get their kids in, in a battle between one another. And the kids become a pond in their failure. I said, hey, quit worrying about that. You be the man or the woman that God needs you to be and let God rearrange all that. God is a God of forgiveness and restoration. And you can either fight to get it your way or you can let God bring it to you his way. Because he's already worked it all out to come to pass. Are you doing all right? He's already worked it all out to come to pass. If you will quit wanting God to fix your external and get your expectation off of his entrance into your life because your request is only to make your life better, you really don't care what he needs to do in your life. Amen. And so when you let God just do it, he changes you and everything comes to pass. And it is amazing when God has the proper entrance into our life. Could I get an amen this morning? So think about it. This would, they, they would soon discover that their preconceived ideas and desires and expectations would not be met. This is what happens so many times. We think that God has come to meet our expectations, fulfill our needs, remove every obstacle and enemy from our life, and allow us to live in peace. If we, were, if, we, if we accept His entrance into our lives, He will turn everything around for our favor. Everything will turn out just as we desire, and we miss His purpose for coming. He come, things get fixed, but He starts here and works out. Amen. Think about it. So worship team comes back. Hear these statements. I'll just wrap it all up in these last couple statements. He did not come just to redeem our now. Jesus did not come just to give you a better now. I think about that. I want more than just my now fixed. Because now has an end. Your life, my life, this life has an end. I want more than just a great life now. I want a great life forever. Amen? Jesus came for more than just the now. He came to work in our life for all of eternity. He came to redeem us to redeem. He didn't come for our now. He came to redeem our eternity. Think about that. That's what hangs in the balance. Every person, that's what's so sad about abortion. That's a sad side, but it's also a comforting side. Because once a soul is conceived, it's eternal. And every child that did not have a life here still has life in him they're eternal amen and it's tragic that we don't value the eternity that's stamped upon every soul but on the other side there's eternity stamped upon every soul why was Jesus weeping because (coughs) he wasn't coming to redeem their now he was coming to redeem their eternity and bring them into it think about it He did not come just to establish an earthly kingdom. He came to redeem us into his eternal kingdom. So my question to you today is what kind of entrance has Christ made into your life? 
See, it said they did not recognize their day of visitation. And I don't know about you, I shared this with the men on Tuesday night in our discipleship class. The Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 3. He says, I don't count myself to have arrived. He said, this one thing I do, I'm pressing for the prize and the mark of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. And I've been a Christian going on 41 years now. And I'm still pressing for the prize. And I told the guys, I said, you know what? I'm loving going on this journey with you and going through this class for you. Because I don't think I've arrived. I said, this is my goal. I want to continue to give Christ such an interest into my life. That one day, I'll be a man of God. My heart is to be a man of God. I don't consider myself to have arrived. Why? Because I know the me you don't know. I know me. And I know that I need to continue to give Christ entrance into my life. There's areas that I still need to let him affect the change in. Amen? And that's why this Sunday, Palm Sunday, declares something to it. Jesus came for a reason. And I want to be able to rejoice at his entrance and not have him weeping. Because I only desired externals and not change. As they shared, the word the Lord shared about the fire and Sean shared about testing. What's amazing is, is that God is where his entrance comes. The way you could tell when the metal is pure is when you look and you see your reflection. God is working in us so that when He looks in your life, He sees Christ in you, the reflection of His Son. You and I are being conformed to His image. Jesus makes an entrance to conform us into Him. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. And if we can allow that to do it, we can be men and women of God. And I can just tell you, when you allow Him to make that inner... Some of you have struggled so hard in your walk with God. And I really felt the Lord give me this message. And it's all around entrance. Because you're still waiting for God to fix externals. And those externals are creating hang-ups. And the Lord said, if you'll release the externals and trust me with the internals, you'll be amazed at the change you will see. Will you stand with me? I wrote these questions down. So why are we here? Why do we do this thing called church? Why do we build houses of worship and raise up men and women to do ministry? Why do we pray, weep, live, love and serve? One, because we know what is coming. Two, because we know there might just be one more who will say yes to Jesus and allow him to make an entrance into their life. So we create a place where people can come and say yes to Jesus having an entrance into their life. Bow your heads with me this morning. Maybe you're here today and you've had an encounter with God, but you really need to allow him to have a full entrance into your life. Because the heart of God is not for you to rejoice when he is weeping but it's for you to rejoice in him
with fullness of joy and for him to rejoice over you with singing. The Bible says, the psalmist said, that he rejoices over us with singing. And when we say yes to him with all of our heart, that's why David said in Psalms 139, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and prove me. Look within. Examine me. Read me like a book. If there's anything in there, show it to me so I might be able to deal with that. And when we give God that kind of entrance into our life to continually take more and more ground, because Jesus cares nothing about earthly thrones. He only cares about your heart and the place you give Him there. Maybe you're here today and you've said yes to the Lord, but you said, Lord, I, I just am afraid if I open this area, if I let you enter that area, that was a hurt. That was a pain. Those are, that's an offense I've carried for years. That brokenness and situations that I've held on to for years. I've, I've never let anybody in that area. I've never given entrance to anyone in that area. And the Lord says, if you let me, I'll heal that. I can make you whole. So maybe this morning there's areas that you've held off from. Maybe you're, like I said, you've just had the external expectation. But I really feel the Lord gave me this message because God wants to bring that full entrance into each and every one of our lives. I want that personally in my life. I answered my own altar call in first service. I want God's full entrance into my life. So I'm asking you today, if you really desire an entrance of Christ into your life, completely, fully, no reservations, nothing, no preconceived ideas, not expecting God to do anything except to come in and be Lord, completely Lord and Savior of your life, then in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to move to this altar. I'm asking you to open your eyes just for a moment. You know, we hear so much today about kingdom teaching and kingdom now, but we're missing it because people are wanting to teach about God's restoring the kingdom now. And that's us ruling and reigning now on the earth. But that's a now king. That's the same desire they had. And he's not a now king. He's an eternal God. Amen? So I'm going to invite you as they sing, with eyes open, heads up, everybody looking around. I'm going to ask you just boldly, just as if he was coming in, would you give Jesus full entrance into your life? And maybe in this service, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that in these next few moments as they sing, that you will draw every person into your presence and to this altar that needs to give you full and complete entrance into their lives. In Jesus' name.